Cruisers, I'm JD. And I'm Randy. And uh, today we decided to head back to the good old days of 1987 and revisit a canon family film classic, Too Much. A robot, sorry, correction, Too Much. The Robot with a Heart. That's right, considering we covered this one <clears throat> a few seasons back <clears throat> and not. Uh, didn't do a whole lot on this one because we didn't think there was a whole lot to talk about at the time. But then as we've gotten older and we've moved further away, mm-hmm. uh, we've realized there's more to talk about in this film. Than you might think. Because it is a crazy, crazy... It's a crazy ride. Bananas film. In some ways crazier than the one I always say Cuckoo Bananas about. Um, Ninja 3 The Domination. So we first talked about this film on, mm-hmm. Ma- on May 26, 2019. Yeah, so about almost three years ago. And it was one of those movies where we saw, probably not in the best period, because when we started Cannon Cruisers, if you've listened to this, you might know, is we did year by year. So like we would start with 1980 and move on to 81, 82, all the way up to the end. So by this period, 87, we kind of watched a string of movies that were all, I don't want to say ramshackle because there's a lot of that in canon, but a lot of them didn't feel like they had any sort of aim to them. So this kind of, I would guess, probably fell in line with with a trend we were seeing, so we didn't really give it a whole lot of extra thought. Yeah, think. just to give you an idea of the movies that we covered at that point, mm-hmm. um, I'm going to go to, do you want to hear before or after? Well, pick whatever one, I guess. Okay, I'll give you the one movie before and one movie after. The previous canon movie that we covered prior to Too Much yeah. was American Ninja 2 The Confrontation. Okay, yeah. The movie that we followed after, mm-hmm. Three Kinds of Heat. So, yeah. <laughs> Three Kinds of Heat was kind of in the same situation in that... Uh, and then, after hard. that, we did one more canon mm-hmm. episode, and then we took a long break for non-canon stuff. <laughs> I can see why. Because, <laughs> like, I remember at the time saying, like, boy, American Ninja 2, that was a breath of fresh air. Then we watched two of these in a row and, like, oh, 
And I one, forgot. and then one of them ended up being, oh god, three kinds of heat, three kinds of heat, which was a movie not unlike this, and that we had to go out our way to find because it's next to impossible. Though to the non-canon to. that released before that one, which might have been why it was more of a downer for us, was Transfers. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, this period too, eighty-seven is was not canon at their height. They were going down at this point. The eighty-six was not a big financial year for them, so they started cutting budgets and whatnot. So for for eighty-seven, right in that, the, what that we period. covered in eighty-seven, because this is when we were still sticking as closely as we could to the year, mm-hmm. we covered Dutch Treat, yeah, Assassination. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm only reading the canon stuff. Alan Quartermain and the Lost City of Gold, yep. Over the Top, mm-hmm. Number One with a Bullet, a movie that I've seen three <laughs> or four times now and still don't remember yep. what it's about. Uh, the can... Barbarians, yep. Down Twisted, Ugh, mm-hmm. Street Smart. American Ninja 2, The Confrontation, Too Much, mm-hmm. Three Kinds of Heat, Master of the Universe, yeah, Big Break, and then Death Wish 4. Yeah. About, about a handful of those, I would say, like, I like, and the rest of them are just kind of, like, very indicative of where canon was at that time period, which is not at a height anymore. <laughs> Definitely and, and then falling. just to show you how, how bad it was in comparison, the mm-hmm. non-canon stuff was things like Cheerleader Camp. Yeah. Uh, Zone Troopers, Trancers. Yeah, we were watching better. Eliminators. Much more. Better canon movies that weren't canon. Better movies. canon movies is a good way to put it. That's what we were actually watching at the time. So it was kind of a contrast. And that's probably the weirdest part because when we, we watched too much, we actually came to the conclusion that it actually is very much a normal canon movie in a lot of ways. Aside from the fact that we watched it in the, again, the worst quality possible because it's not available anywhere so yeah it's like <laughs> this movie is impossible to find no, actually it's really easy to find but it's impossible mm. to buy because there's only ever mm. been a vhs release of this film the only rip i've ever seen and it's on youtube is mm. from a uk copy so yeah. a pal copy ripped terrible looking mm-hmm. but it's the only one from years back so we mm. we had our little piece to say in advance of it. So let's start going into some more detail about Too Much. Uh-huh. So released on June 1st, 1987. We don't mm-hmm. know if it had a theatrical release or if it was just a VHS. Mm-hmm. Usually when it's the first of the month, it usually means that they don't have an exact day, just the month. Yeah. Directed by softcore pornographer Eric Rochat. Yeah. With a screenplay by softcore pornographer Eric Rochat. And I keep saying softcore pornographer, but the movies he did were all poorly received yeah. for softcore pornography. Uh, and they were like the story of O and the story of O2. It's and a, It's a canon thing where they yeah. just said, we'll just have you do this. And, and they just handed him the, the script was, I guess, so bad that they had, or so, um, I don't know how to say it, um, so, unclear that they mm-hmm. brought somebody named Joan Lane in to write just the narration that oh, is yeah. basically the exposition of the film explaining what is going on? And this exposition is just the lead actress, Bridget Anderson, which more on her in a moment, yeah. just kind of reads off by rote. And sometimes this exposition will pop in the middle of a conversation they're having on screen just to explain what's going on in the film, which is important because this movie, without this narration, the ending would come even more out of left field yeah. than it already does. This yeah. film swerves hard. So, yeah. J.D., what is... Oh, well, actually, first, before I ask you what the film's about. So, director, writers, mm-hmm. this movie stars Bridget Anderson. This was her last theatrical film before she died at the age of 21. This has to be pointed out because this is her last theatrical film. 
much really much sad. later after Ma- this much movie. later in life and star also starring Mori Kiyo Boe mm-hmm. as Mata, a little Japanese boy she meets who decides to run away with them. Um, mm-hmm. Hiroyuki Watanabe as Tetsuro, the doctor that created the robot yeah. for her. Uh, Masato Fukazama, who played the voice of, or, or I guess physically played too much. Yeah. Really cool uh, design. Mm-hmm. And then just other character, other random people like Tora Uganda as Bernie, but he was only credited as Uganda. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, Char Fortana. He might be Charlie Fortana, a uh, no-credit uh, Japanese actor, like Who a knows? white guy who's a Japanese actor, but we're not sure. Because he, he doesn't seem to have appeared in any other films. There isn't a whole lot of information on the production of this movie either. No. So now that I've given all that out there, we, 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 we mm-hmm. put the dead horse out there and showed that yes, she had passed away because that's the only noticeable thing apparently people take from this movie. What is the plot of this movie? Okay, a little girl goes to Japan with her parents... On business. On business. We don't know anything about the business part of it, but we know that she ends up making friends with their neighbor, who is a scientist who created a robot called TM. So, one pause there. It's not just their neighbor. It's his her father's business partner. Which, again, doesn't really make a difference because it doesn't come into play in any Who's way. a roboticist who created specifically TM for her. For her. And the main motion of the plot is that she has to run away from them as they're returning to America as they can't take the robot with them because it's a prototype owned by him who and he made it for her specifically yes so she runs away and then the robot goes and finds her and the rest of the movie is them running away from the police trying to get them and a kidnapper trying to catch the robot for ransom that's no not even just for ransom story. it's it's a business rival of of dr tetsuro play a dr finkel trying to get the robot so he can steal how it was made yeah it's very and and the and they're they're the kid has the kid and then kids and the robot have no plans it's just simply we're running away from home with my robot and and probably why we didn't have a lot to say about the story last time is because that's just that's the story. That's the entire thing. That's what that's what they're doing the entire movie. It's but when you watch this closely and you and you realize that this movie is kind of very intense in parts, and this is all before the the weird left turn it takes at the end. Yeah, there's a big, a big chase like, sequence in at the, the beginning of the film. There's, of the movie. A, there's a big chase sequence where he's pushing her, mm-hmm. and in the middle of oncoming traffic at full speed. <laughs> also, full speed for this guy is about the speed of a lawnmower. Except when it needs to be a plot and they're somehow six hours uh, ahead of where they should be. it's Yeah, when they're out in the middle of nowhere by Mount bizarre. Fuji later on uh, at a farm where, oh wait, this was 1987. He has Wi-Fi 5G internet and yeah. is able to find videos on how to milk a cow. And then yeah. he's able to explain to her in a very educational moment that milk should be pasteurized to prevent it from, uh, from uh, any bacterial infections occurring in the human. Yeah, like I said, it's a very simple, straightforward idea. You've probably already seen this movie before because, well, the whole kid thing, they're trying to take my friend away and I'm going to take my friend away, but it's a special friend and somebody else wants to get to that friend first. So, like, that's hap- that's been done millions of times. You know, E.T. Yeah, but in this case, what makes it memorable is everything that happens on the way to that happening. Um, Every event around it. There's a moment where they're accosted by cops after 
breaking into a vending, like hacking into a vending machine to get yeah. some sodas, and the cop attacks too much, so he sword fights with him, yeah. and then this leads to a cop firing on them and blowing up the gas station. <laughs> All in the attempt to apprehend this robot who they believe kidnapped this little girl against her will. Because nobody has any idea what's going on. And I guess it should also be mentioned that neither do the, the robot or the kid. They are just running away. There's no real destination. They're just running. And then a B-plot, like a really big B-plot, starts to pop up in the background mm -hmm. uh, where... The media is covering the events that are going on, and it is um, what's the word I'm looking for here, JD? Uh, Superfluous. Um, militarizing the children to rise up and, uh -huh. because uh, it's captured their heart. I think that's where we um, should point in. A lot of this movie was clearly added in post. Um, a lot of it. Mobilizing might be a bit. Mobilize the children to to start protesting because yeah. their hearts have been touched by uh, too much and and by the story of too much and his girlfriend, which they they said his girlfriend, not friend who is a girl, not even just a, his best friend. No, his girlfriend. There is a lot. Susie. Going um, on in this movie. She's ten. Uh, but and wait, this isn't even the craziest part about this because it goes crazier uh, at the ending. Well, you haven't added in the whole point that all of the stuff you're talking about is not actually in the movie. Oh, no, until it's, the ending. None of it is a part of the movie. It's all added in... Post. Like, most of the movie is added in after the movie was made because of the whole... That's all the stuff written by living. Joan Lane. That's the whole thing written by Joan Lane. There's the entire opening narration, almost 15 minutes of it, is almost entirely only overdub. There is nothing in the actual movie. Because apparently they didn't think anybody was going to understand the setup. They watched a movie, like, this is how I, how I see it. They watched a movie and they went, you know what? We like the narration in Blade Runner. Let's do that. That explained what was going on in this movie that doesn't make a lot of sense. And not even just explaining things that are going on. Sometimes they're just, like, lines in between actual dialogue scenes. Where they're, like, one-off jokes and it's confusing because it's like, why is she saying that in between her own other lines? That's not how, that's not how these work. You don't do overdubs like this. Eric Rocha is sitting there somewhere with this like vaguely sexual film <laughs> that is like oozing with sexuality, but not around the children. Uh, but robots. but but that he cut that that, but that he had to cut around for canon. And then one day he's going to do his uh, too much the final cut, and it's going to be like had to take away all the all the uh, all the narration, and it's just going to be one hundred percent his vision. Mm -hmm. But the the thing you're mainly <laughs> talking about though is the whole the final sequence of the film before talking about it being like added in after the fact because it was you should just add in the fact that in the original movie what happens is these kids are obviously running away with the robot and for no reason at all at the end they're cornered by the police and a bunch of kids run out of nowhere to save them and start a robot revolution mm -hmm. and overthrow japan oh yeah right yeah the, the, so what's going on in all the broadcasts is the kids are mobilizing because they believe that too much and uh, Susie should be together. And the movie ends with them cornered in a toy store where too much literally says that all robots aren't made equal. And then he mobilizes them as a military force to attack the police Yes, as they use children as human shields because they've come out in their support and are trying to protect them. And then they raise their flag at the end of the movie next to the Japanese flag. And the song that plays literally says that TM is our leader now. And mm -hmm. and the only reason you know this is a thing is because several points, it's added in obviously in post 
because it's the, they use the same shot several times. Yeah, the they use the station. same shot of of like the bay and the Tokyo Tower and the Tokyo Tower having the mm-hmm. radio waves coming off of it to say like the children around the country are standing up. They're all coming together for some reason, I guess, to support TM and Susie because they respect their relationship, which is a broadcast for some reason in English, I guess, even though it's Japan. Every broadcast is in English. Except everything else in Japan, they speak Japanese, except for for some reason, the airport at the beginning, they change that to English, and except for the broadcast, they change that to English. It's very confusing. Oh, let's rewind one thing, JD. So, not only did the cops almost die at a gas station, during another car chase Mm -hmm. with too much, a cop almost dies, and... And somehow it overturns his car, yeah. and too much goes, Susie, I have to help him. And he just goes out there and checks his pulse and says, okay, he's good. And he gets back, and they he run leaves. away. <laughs> he just leaves. And then, like I said, and then the next scene is him freaking shooting cops because they're shooting at him. <laughs> oh, and also, how about the part where he loses his brain? How about the part where Dr. Finkel catches him, and then we find out that all this time that too much feels pain? He feels physical pain as they're breaking his skull open to try to get the pieces inside of it that he feels physical pain. And then he sees, there's also the scene where he... That's also where he, that really crazy turn takes place with too much and he starts to become a little bit more... Robots aren't all created equal. There's also the scene where Susie sees a spider and starts screaming so the kid they're with swings a wrench at it and too much for some reason starts... Danger! Danger! At ah! a high pitch and falls into the water and almost electrocutes itself to death, which... There's so much weird stuff in this movie. With JD's favorite piece of uh, post-editing uh, in of, huh, I guess this really goes to show you shouldn't be careful about losing your head. Which is said in the middle of another line for some reason. That Let's go help him. Yeah. Let's go help him. Let's go help him. Guess you shouldn't lose your head. We should get out of here. What the f- Why are you doing that? That's... I should just say that's 90% of the movie. You're just wondering, why is this happening? Why is this happening the way it's happening? Why are the things going on? Why would you even consider something like a robot revolution coming out of nowhere at the end for your movie where robots are literally exploding, being electrocuted to death and being stomped on? It's so bizarre. They they, they freaking start, like, they're going back to that ending scene. They're electro-prodding the robots. They're curb-stomping the robots as the robots are crashing themselves kamikaze-style into the police officers and exploding. And then the movie ends up with them. And then the kids start using themselves as human shields and the robot, and then they all curb-stomp Dr. Finkel. They all run in, kill Dr. Finkel because he falls on the ground writhing as the happy music's playing. Yeah, because he landed on his uh, baton. And then they put up the the TM flag... Uh, next to the flag of Japan, which no, no, Jenny, it's, taking it's, it's over. The, it's the child's movement. Yes, the child's movement, but he's on the, their flag for some reason. Well, he's their leader. And His chairman, TM. And they all run Chairman TM's long walk. And then they all run up and start screaming like, we won, we won. And then the credits play. And, and for some reason, too much ends the movie basically saying... Did you have the, did you have the line? I have the line. One second. The, the iPad decided to turn itself off. <laughs> So basically what happens is the movie ends in a freeze frame after they just took over Japan. And and before the credits start, Too Much says, I love you, Susie, and remember, we are friends forever. Susie, ha ha ha, I love you, TM. You really are too much. Yeah, and the credits are rolling. 
Although the line... With the line being fun, fun, fun. <laughs> we're having fun. TM's number one. The fun. Line, the line before that even happened was basically, we did it, TM. We did it. And the question one has to ask while watching this movie is, what did we did do? what? What did you do? Just like the entire movie. What What are you doing? What is the point? Where are you... What's your goal? Why is this happening? It just it, It's just random thing after random thing that seems to escalate into an ending where Japan gets taken over by a robot and they're revolutionary mo- movement children for some reason and and the whole thing is is that this department store that they're hiding out in this toy store is having a robot festival at the time so okay yeah and it was real a real festival of blood i'm telling you what yeah and that is... and the kids were wearing shirts that said i love tm yeah and that's too much it's too much for anybody's brain to comprehend that's for sure i don't really know what else to say about the movie aside from general impression being that it's insane because it's insane without even the overdubs which don't contribute to making it a more coherent movie it actually makes it even more bizarre because of the things they add but even without that it's confusing and it's a straightforward idea and a straightforward plot so that says something it becomes it goes from a child on the lamb movie for a metaphor for the rise of communism in china that makes more sense than whatever they were trying to do because they weren't trying to do anything as far as I could see. They were just trying to make Like, what a... is their platform? Like, literally, <laughs> what is their political platform for this children's movement? The children's movement exists to make sure children are not faced with... Being separated from their robots? I guess. It was very vague wording that didn't make a whole lot of sense, but that's part of the broadcast that they repeated like three times in the movie in English in the middle of Japan for whatever reason because they they have to inform the uh, the Japanese populace in a language they don't speak what's happening because that's how you get the children of Japanese people together I, I don't know I don't get anything that happened all right let's let's just get straight out here we watched a lot of weird movies and this is definitely one of the most incomprehensible ones that manages to be comprehensible and then if you want to be really confused because I have watched this movie in the last couple of weeks it's basically, except for the whole children's movement thing, the same basic plot as the hit 2024 movie. We're in 2024, right? Uh, or are we in 2023? 2023 movie, Megan. It's literally the same freaking plot. Maybe. Except that this one has empathy and hasn't purposely tried to kill people until they, they tried to scoop out his brains. Uh, <laughs> and it's never this killed film, any children as far as we can tell. This, like I said, this film is just... Too much. It's too much. Uh, so... <laughs> What is your highlight of the film? It's a very fast movie because I was we paused it several times and every time we paused, like we're that far in. Yeah, it, and this is it really goes to show like the um, how bad we were when the first time we did this. I listened to it this morning, like before you got here, just to get an idea. Mm-hmm. And we were saying how boring the film was, how confusing the film was. Yeah, it was well, it was confusing, uh, how yeah. slow the film was. Well, that's definitely not right. Um, I have the feeling we watched it with something bad. Um, I think we we well, we did kind of like I said when we were we were watching, watching things it, out of order too. We weren't just watching things in order, but like I said, that period we watched a lot of stuff. That was not canon at their best, and we were also at the same time watching non-canons that were better than canon was at that point. So I, I, I think my highlight of the movie is that they were just willing to go mm-hmm. for it, like just like this yeah. crazy thing they had. It's supposed to be a kids' movie; It doesn't have to make any sense. Okay, the children have risen up uh, for TM and his girlfriend, uh, and, and they they want to make him their their king. They just um, like, yeah, this it's a movie about a uh, a kid running away with a robot. Let's just 
throw stuff at a wall and see what works, I guess. Because that's pretty much what it feels like. And we have a fat actor, so every time we see him, he's eating cake. Yeah, why not? I mean, why not? <laughs> Might as well. Where he gets... Or my favorite scene where he gets kicked in the butt and falls down for five minutes on his knees. While, You're not psychic. While everybody else just soon you will be kicked in the butt. Yeah. I don't believe you. Ow! And then he falls over and he stays there for about five minutes while another discussion is going on. And they run out and he's you can still see him crouch down on the ground. So it's like okay. This was the end of Evangelion of children's movies. I, okay, I, I would buy it. I would buy that. Yeah, why not? <laughs> There's nothing else about it that <laughs> that makes a whole lot of sense. And I would. Well, I guess that could go into the lowlights of the movie is that even though, as I said, the movie is coherent. It does not make any sense. It doesn't make sense. (laughs) It just doesn't. There's nothing about it that makes sense. Would you say it's too much of a good thing? (laughs) And as I said, the whole reason a lot of movies add narration is usually because, well, the movie doesn't make sense. So let's make it more clear. But the narration does not make it more clear. And in certain scenes, it actually makes it more convoluted because, as I said... They're escaping through the sewer. Why are they talking about a children's movie? They're talking about other things and uh, the same thing while during other people's dialogue. You're like, what? Why? What What does that have to do with it? And and did you just get lost again? And then they go to the next scene and you're like, okay, I can put that behind me. And that's pretty much every scene in the movie. I, I am very, though, for, like, highlight... Going back to my highlight for a second, I'm very for the fact that too much is very anti-cop. <laughs> <laughs> he absolutely hates cops. I have to help or, them, though. Though, like, literally for no real reason, because they don't really have any reason to. The, <laughs> That's it. The cops in the movie are literally trying to help them, and most of the time they're confused. They think this thing is, this thing they don't know anything about, kidnap the kid. So like, when they're trying. But in to, reality, the kid actually kidnapped him. And like, <laughs> like especially the cop who swerved out of the way to avoid running into and killing them. Why did you stop? Himself. Why did you stop? It was a red light. <laughs> like I said, the whole movie is just. I don't even know how to to say it. Anymore. One of the strangest canon films that we have honestly probably ever watched. Would you call it the Apple Weird? Um, no, nah, it's not too much like the Apple. Uh, <laughs> too much like the Apple. Like, I, I usually say that, that Ninja 3 The Domination is probably one of the craziest films, but no, it's like, in retrospect, this is probably the craziest canon film. Mm-hmm. Um, at least it makes more sense than Journey to the Center of the Earth. Yeah, Janet, Journey to the Center of the Earth's problem is the fact that it's not a movie. <laughs> like, this is, you can say, is a movie, because it does have a beginning, it does have a middle, it does have an ending does have escalation things do happen and oh boy does it have an ending because that was quite the escalation it was it it suddenly became pat labor 2 the movie yeah and it became this very political film (laughs) well it did have studio Nui design so yes that's what we didn't mention (laughs) is that studio Nui of uh macross fame designed all the robots in this film including too much which is one of the reasons i kind of wanted to know more about the production behind this because the year before this was the robotech movie which has involvement of people who worked on macross so and they did new footage for the robotech movies i wanted to see if maybe which was released Mm -hmm. in the u.s by Mm -hmm. canon yeah that's why i wanted to see if there was more to it but another one of those things that they were not sure if it was a limited release or what but it was released by canon yeah that's another one we wanted to do as well but like i said i'm glad we rewatched this one because I'm definitely thinking the climate of the canon movies at the time soured our mood on what we were watching because we clearly missed a lot. And when we're 
bouncing back and forth and just taking a look at these things, it's like I'm gonna I'm I my reassessment of this movie has actually gone up. Uh, mm-hmm. Score wise, I want to hear your thought first. But we initially both just for out there, we both gave this movie a one. Yeah, like I said, we were at the time the movies we were watching were not canon at the strongest. And, at the and same this time, still is not canon at the strongest, but not. man, is this a canon ass movie? It's not, but at the same time, as I was watching it, I, I was just, re- I was just realizing it. It's not boring. I don't know why I thought it was boring because there's always something happening, as crazy as it is. And as we were watching it, every time we paused, it's like we're that far in because I didn't. I thought we was going really fast. I don't, I don't really know how to describe it. It's, and we only paused it three times because I had to deal with my dog or with uh, delivery. Yes, and all three times we were significantly further in, and, and I was confused each time we did it. Because we both remember the movie being so boring and so lackluster the first time around. Yeah. So are you going to say that you're giving this movie a three? Yeah, I'll give it a three. Um, like I said, it's not It's not like um, the it's not like Ninja 3, The Domination, where... Though where it's, it, actually, it's, it's though insanity it, makes it actually good. Though it is crazy, that movie. This The craziness of, about it all works together to make it a more coherent experience as weird as that is to say this movie it works in that it makes it more interesting and crazy to watch but at the same time it makes it a bit loopier than it should be and it makes it a bit harder to process sometimes it's it's like if i'm going to be honest it's like right now before i give you my score it's that if we're going to say what movies are the most canon of canon films Mm -hmm. it's probably going to be this one uh Ninja 3, The Domination, and The Apple, because these are the most canon of canon films. And probably uh, Breakin' 2. And Breakin' 2. Like, those are the most canon of canon films. Maybe, they uh-huh. might not be the best, but they, the, when I think of, like, the weirdness of what exemplifies a canon film, it's the weirdness that are in these movies. And now that I think about it, those are the those are movies we all, we went over a second time and reassessed. Mm-hmm. So, you notice the, you notice a pattern so there, there is that's a why I mentioned a, them. There is a bit of a pattern to But, that. yes, yeah. I would give this a 3, because I... I actually would recommend it to people just because it mm-hmm. is an extreme extreme curiosity because mm-hmm. this movie is not available no it's not it's it's like it's the easiest movie for us to find yeah because nobody cares that it's been uploaded on onto youtube nothing yeah never but there's but there's never going to be another release of this film ever Probably and the movie's not. always going to be overshadowed by the fact that it's bridget anderson's last film Hmm. because at the age of 21, so like 10 years later after the film came out, hmm. she would die. Yes, because everybody keeps trying to clickbait that by saying, this is her last film before she died of a heroin overdose, and it's always a picture of her in this movie. It's like, that's not when the context. When she was 10, yeah, when she was 10. Yeah. That's not the context here. The context is that this is a weird movie that came out at a time when Canon wasn't at their best, so they probably just threw it out on home video and just let it go out there and didn't think about it again i have a feeling it's another uh, journey to the center of the earth situation where they had uh mm. money that they've already spent for it like mm-hmm. like so contractually they released something it also helps that this was more of a complete movie than that one was where that one they clearly ran out of footage and had to do something with this was a complete movie and they said doesn't quite gel let's add things in and the stuff they added in made it gel even less which is a unique thing it really is so, um, I guess that's about it for this one. We talked quite a bit about it, uh, a bit more than the first time we did. We've talked more than three times the length we talked about it the first time. Yeah. So, hopefully did that this movie justice. And I would recommend this one, especially if you're looking for obscure canon movies that you haven't seen before, because 
it's probably not going to get a proper re-release ever again. It's never had a proper release. It's like we can with. hope against hope that somebody like Vinegar Syndrome would get it. Like some some like very low print run thing of it. Yeah. Just put out a loving restoration of it. Yeah. Just for film history because this movie is not great, but it really is a freaking canon film yeah. if I've ever seen one. There's like a... even the story of the fact that it's directed yeah. by a softcore pornographer as a children's for, as, for as no a children's real film. Reason. Yeah, for no real reason. And that he's the one that pitched it to the canon. Yeah. That's it just sounds like I want a I, I want to do a children's film. Okay. It's the sort of thing that could only have existed when it was made by the people who made it and that makes it an interesting watch. And yeah, I would recommend it overall. All right, everybody, that's all we got to say about this one. So we'll con- see you next time and continue our cruise, the Canon Catalog. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>